This episode is in partnership with Roomvo. Roomvo is the number one room visualization tool used by manufacturers, retailers across the globe. To find out more information, visit get.roomvo.com. Welcome to the UK Flooring Podcast. Today in the studio, I have Johnny Reeves from the Floor Design Studio. So um, without further ado, who is Johnny Reeves? Uh, Johnny Reeves is a flooring contractor based in Skipton. Wonderful. (laughs) And um, give us a bit more information about the Floor Design Studio. So what do you do down there and what is your ideal client? We are a professional team of flooring contractors. We tend to do uh, new builds, offices and country estates. And our ideal client is someone who's got 100 new build houses in a bottomless pocket. <laughs> that would be, I think, anybody's ideal client would that one, wouldn't it? Yeah, a bottomless pocket of money just to um, spend with you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and a fetish for flooring. That would be my ideal <laughs> client. <laughs> and what type of what type of floor coverings do you do? Uh, we do LVTs, woods, and carpet. Wonderful. Okay. And where did it all begin for you? It began for me. Um, when I was, I was 18 and uh, I started labouring on a fret for a friend of mine who was a carpet fitter and uh, I caught the bug and it just developed from there really. Yeah and catching the bug what does that look like for you? Are you um, how did you fall in love with flooring? What what ticks the boxes for you? I, I started working in a carpet shop and then I started helping some of the fitters that were there and I liked the um, the, the satisfaction you got when you're completing a job, you turn, because flooring is a bit like painting. It's such a large surface area for a property; it makes a massive difference. Yeah. And you go into a you go into a building, it like a building, and you'd leave, and it'd be a home. Yeah. Um, it was nice. The blood, sweat, and tears you put. You could see the results. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's the same for me. I got the book for that reason. For um, it's transformative, and when people was have it been, me? yeah, that's what it's- yeah. Yeah, it's just it can completely transform a space like over and over and above people's imagination, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I like that reason as well. Um, today's today's topic, really, and you are probably one of the um, like me, you prefer to actually um, employ your teams, don't you? What's the, what's the reasoning behind that, Johnny? I think you can create consistency. Um I think if you employ your teams, you can create consistency once you're fitting. You've got more control over your fitting and you can react to issues within the fitting easier. Yeah. Uh, I tend to find, uh, I've I've worked from both sides. I've I've been an employed subcontractor myself. I've used subcontractors and I've used employed fitters. uh, And I find that issues that come up um, between, if you want to split departments uh, between retailers and installers, easier solved and quicker resolved when the employers when the fitters are employed rather than when they are subcontracted yeah because and and i completely agree with you i mean it's one of the things that we get asked all the time would i um would i recommend employing staff or would you just go down the subcontract route and for me hands down it has to be the employee route all the time um and a lot of people will say well why is that and you know exactly the same reasons and um it is, it is a bit of a debate that we have all the time. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I personally 
And it's an entirely personal opinion. I don't think the subcontractor model is a good idea. I don't think it's helping the flowing industry. Um, I think we're stuck with it. I don't think we're going to change it, but um, I, I do think it's a problem. But with me personally, the only reason why I went self-employed, or but I said not went, but more stayed self-employed, was I couldn't find anywhere to work for that I was happy being employed for. And within my business, I tried to create somewhere to work where I'd have liked to have been employed. Mm-hmm. That is a, one of the things that I, I quite stick to. I always yeah. I try, I try to create what I wanted when I was looking for a job, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, um, I mean, this this month's kind of um, topic for everything that we're doing um, over here is about training. And I think you've got probably one of the longest lists of training that I've ever seen. Um, what what kind of training have you been involved in in the past, Johnny? Because it's a massive list and I'm sure people would be really, really interested in finding out what you've done um, to upskill yourself. In I've done, I've done a lot. Um, I don't think I could reel all of them off, but I've tried to do as many courses and find out as much information about anything that was up to present that helped me improve my fitting game. Uh, anything. I'm a big, big advocate for training. I, I think you just get left behind if you don't, and you improve so much quicker. You think of it like... Like a Rubik's Cube. You could have a Rubik's Cube, you could play with it for 10 hours and you don't get anywhere. You can watch a 10-minute YouTube video and you can do it. That's training. Uh, You can can practice something for God knows how many hours and not do it, or you can go to a two-day course and all of a sudden you've got the skill level, you've got the knowledge. It's just, it seems to me it's a no-brainer. I don't understand why. I don't understand what the resistance is against it. I Mm -hmm. I really don't. Talking about Rubik's Cubes, because you and I have had a conversation before about Rubik's Cubes, haven't we? And um, we have, you yeah. told me a story about a Rubik's Cube. Um, tell me that story again, because I think it's hilarious. Uh, my daughter got a Rubik's Cube when we were on holiday, and we tried to tell her not to get it because we thought it would be frustrating, and she got it, messed it up, and I got the daddy fix, and she gave it to me. And my mother-in-law told me it would be um, impossible for me to learn, which was like... <laughs> Oh, Jackie, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I learned, and um, now I'm pretty good with a Rubik's Cube, yeah. How quickly can you do a Rubik's Cube? Uh, I can do sub two minutes, and I'm wanting to get sub 30 seconds, and then I'm wanting to get to get one-handed, just to annoy my mother-in-law. <laughs> 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 to prove a point, Jackie, yeah, look at so, this. <laughs> so little fair, so little fair. No, I love it, absolutely love it. The um. The, tra- the training that I've heard you've done as well is not just about um, on-the-tool stuff as well. I mean, you've taught yourself how to even look after your own financials and accounting and everything, haven't you? And it's so critical. Why do you think it's so important to even upskill yourself in other areas of your business as well? Well, for, for me, it was, just, it was adopting the same mindset. Like, um, I always wanted to be um, a really good floor layer. I wanted to be as good as I could get. And I wanted to be able to say, I wanted to be confident in being able to say, I am good. Mm-hmm. So I made sure I was. Um, I learned as much as I could. I went on any, as many courses as I could. I read as many articles as I could. I got as much information as I possibly could so that I was a good floor layer and I could confident, comfortably say I was a really good floor layer. But then my business has evolved. I'm not just a floor layer now. 
I am a business owner and an employer. It's a completely different skill set. Yeah. It's a skill set that I have no, I, have, I, don't, I don't have any skills in. I'm a, I, I know my trade, but it's, it's a different skill set. So I employed the, well, if I want to be a good businessman, I need that knowledge. So I went yeah. to business training as well and got that. It just seemed logical to me. Yeah. Follow the same path that got me to be a good floor layer to be a good businessman. Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. And I think that's when things go wrong within a business is because you lack the skills to be able to actually make it successful. Um, you know, so learning how to do your own accounts, manage your own financials. I mean, some of that actually comes off the back of, you know, you 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 may have struggled with something in the past and you want to master it yourself. But like you say, changing the mentality that you have to be a master of all elements of your business is really critical because as a as an independent um, business owner, um, I think we've talked about this before that, you know, you, you are the marketing department, you are the sales department, you are the fitter, you're on the tools. You know, you have to be you have to be in control of your financials. Every single part of your business you have to master at some point. Um, and then even when you're growing you can't outsource those elements of your business unless you have a fair understanding of what you're outsourcing in the first place. Well, that, that, that's it for me. Like, uh, for example, I, I wanted to outsource marketing. Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even tell you what it was uh, at, at that time. I didn't. I knew what marketing was. Like, yeah, marketing promoting the business. But what actually is it? What yeah. are you actually doing? What are you actually trying to achieve? Break it down to brass tacks and what are you actually trying to do it? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so how can I ask some outsource something and get the results that I'm looking for for a way? I don't understand it. Yeah. So I, I got I got the training, so I understand it. it. Just to get me to the point where I could ask for what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't track it. You can't see whether it's working. You can't. I mean, the other thing as well that really surprised me. I mean, staying on the marketing um, thing. Um, one of the reasons why we created. Um, Truth Digital was th- that exact reason because over the years, what we found is that, you know, um, marketing agencies out there would just take in a, a massive amount of money of people and not delivering the results. And it was all a bit like smoke and mirrors. You just didn't know what was actually working and what wasn't. You didn't know whether to believe what they were doing was right. You didn't know, you know, they would put um, certain keywords in Google AdWords and say, yes, this is going to be driving more business and you'd get more click-throughs, but they weren't the right clients. And it's all about conversion. Um, And so having a fair understanding of that ourselves was then the catalyst that went, okay, this is why we need to create this business for that exact reason. In terms of your employees then, and, and let's go back to kind of apprenticeship kind of level. All right. I've, I've talked about this on po- previous podcasts before about um, that. I think it is one of the biggest issues that we've got in the flooring industry right now is fresh blood coming into, um, into the industry. But I think that has to, that has to come from independent, independent employers taking ownership of putting their staff and their teams through that training and investing in them big. What does it look like? Um, when a, a new employee comes in to the floor design studio, how do you start that training process with them? Developed um, a training plan to go through training training providers. Because I've got, within my team, I've got the mindset, I want to create a team where I'm the shittest member of my team. If, if I'm the worst floor layer, I've got a floor design studio, we've got a pretty solid team. Yeah. So that, 
that, that's the aim. So the training plan, what I've done in my life, um, the training that I've done, we picked and selected and staged off a, um, a training program for them mm-hmm. so that, that they do become better than me. That's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the whole aim. If my lads, if I, if my lads do a full term with me and go from start to finish with me and then they're not at least as good as if not better than me, then I haven't done my job. No. And that, I mean, that's even, that's the same with any trade. Every new blood needs to be better than the last. Otherwise, it just doesn't progress. So yeah. you've, got to, you've got to develop them more. Um, but yeah, we've got a three-year training plan over three stages. And, and that, and a lot of that, you know, the, the belief around it being on the job training as well. And it's not a case of just going out and doing a course, ticking a box and that's it. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the time it is just about having that, um, that focus on saying, this is a long-term, this is a long-term training plan. You can't, you can't get somebody to be better than you in a year. Um, no. Yeah, we've possible. got to give them the training and you've got to give them the practice and you've got to give them the experience. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And also, you've got to retain them. Yeah. Um, so you can't be chucking them on five triple L stairs and landings a day, five days a week and expecting them to land about. You can't work them into the ground. Yeah. Um, you, just, you, just can't, you just can't do that. Um, I know it's so massively commonplace, 13, 14, 15 hours a day as a fitter, Mm-hmm. But it's not sustainable, and it's not yeah. likable, and no one particularly enjoys doing it. But there's, the model that we've got at the minute, a lot of fitters have to, to earn the money, which to me is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a massive, massive problem within the trade. Yeah, it's, it's more than just training. You've got, it's, 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 it's like a culture. And like back to what you were saying um, about getting new blood in, the way this trade works at the minute, I can understand why no one wants to get into it. Mm-hmm. I really can like when I started 22 years ago, um, the sort of work that I were doing five, ten years into it, if I'd have known I would be doing that, I probably wouldn't have got into it. Mm-hmm. You, you work yourself into, into ground. You think someone who's working 12 hours days is part-time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's physically tasking. It's a, yeah. it's a really physically tasking job. So you, and them elements need to be considered. Yeah. Um, how do you think that can be? How do you think personally that could be resolved? How do we get this industry to a position where um, we are people led and it's all it's about training and we're making it a more attractive place for people to come and work? I think the primary issue is the relationship between stars and subcontractors, um, and I think the issue. The, the problem between them is estimating. I, I think estimating is a massively, massively underappreciated skill. Um, and I think it causes most of the problems between the two aspects of the person selling the floor and the person putting it down. I think, yeah. I think that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, this is, again, from my experience. You find shop owners um, think if you've got a pen, a pad and a tape measure, you can measure and quote floor. For installation, and you can measure and quarter floor for goods. I'm sure you can, but not for installation. You can't unless you know how to install. Yeah, and um, there's so many. It's so commonplace for they'll charge per square meter for a say of carpet, and you'll get to a staircase, and it's got I don't know six twists, uh, two double noses, and um, I don't know, it's time consuming job. Mm-hmm. And you get the, the meterage rate that you would do for a lounge that's where you're going to get done in a quarter of the time, plus a £15 surcharge. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, how, how are you meant to make your money in that? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but if you do make your money in it, you've got to drive quality down. Yeah. To get, uh, you've got to cut corners and you've got to do it quick and you can't do it to the, the standard that is ideal because you haven't got the time because you haven't got the money. No. We've got people feeding. <laughs> you've got... Um, and how 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 do we kind of get or how do we change that then so um i'm guessing would you take more would there be or should there be more ownership on the um the installers doing those estimates or is it a joined up approach or is it a case of upskilling the estimators yeah, well, yeah, I think it's the case of upskilling the estimators, um, but I think estimators can be upskilled uh, naturally, by, personally, by using estimating software. Okay. I think estimating software can be set up to create a, a, check, a checklist where you go through jobs, mm-hmm. almost like um, an SOP for sales. Yeah. You can, um, you can set it up like a checklist, so you can give that to anybody, and if they can use a tape and they can write a pad, like a lot of retailers think that's what an estimate needs, they can go through this checklist and they've got, they've got it all. Just apply mm-hmm. a price to everything. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a very simple way of doing it. It's, like you used to get um, some of the shops when I was sub, I stopped subbing in 2005, something like that. Mm-hmm. But the shops that I like to work for, they didn't have estimating programs, but they had sales, they had checklists from the measures. Yeah. They'd be like, does it need grip? Or what is the flaw? And so, and they go they go through the whole process with a checklist, so you know exactly what you were doing. And mm-hmm. then it was, uh, and those were the shops that I like to work for. Mm-hmm. And the, the ones that I didn't were the oh you've got you've got five hundred quid, seven hundred fifty quid in fitting today. Yeah, I do, but I've got to put down a square mile of flooring in five minutes. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's not yeah. Uh, yeah. They look at the the end sum rather than what you've got to do to get there. Yeah. And what what kind of so- what software do you use? I like Measure Square, um, yeah. basically because I run off an iPad and it it works via finger touch, and that's a it's a good programming. It's got its flaws, um, but out of the ones that I've used, I've used Masterpiece, Measure Square, Calidus, and for me, I think Measure Square is the most user friendly, mm-hmm. which is good for me because I'm not a particularly technical guy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a knuckle dragging floor layer. I like to <laughs> touch the screen and move stuff about. I don't want to have to go into boxes and stuff. I just want to tap with my finger. Yeah. And, um, Square is good for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Um, so in terms of what you, you're up to at um, the Floor Design Studio at the minute, um, what's what's coming up next for you guys? What are your plans? Um, we, this year's, I don't believe, is going to be a record-breaking year. Um, there's... there's too much no, there's too much uncertainty in the market at the minute. I think people are generally not just flooring, but generally waiting for something. It's almost as if there's everyone's expecting something to happen, but no one knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, so this year, we're just we're improving as product. We're oh. we're improving as um, operations. We're improving as um, as sales processes. We're just improving as product. So when the market turns, we can hit the ground running. I was, yeah. I was doing this during the last recession. Um, I remember I remember what it was like during and I remember what happened afterwards. And I'm kind of expecting the same thing. So I'm setting the business up so that we can profit from the aftermath. Because yeah. you, you did, we did last year. Last yeah. year, you, the effects it has on the market, you can, if you last, you can prop a cream on it when it, when it starts turning back around. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're, um, I mean, are you feeling the the pinch of less um, less inquiries coming through? Is there less money about? What's the what's the downturn that you felt at the minute? How was that feeling? I don't think there's less money about as such. I just think the money belongs to fewer people. There's right. less people giving it out. So mm-hmm. then you've got more people going for the work and less people giving it out. So it's more competitive. It's harder to get the sales. It's mm-hmm. the sales are there, they're just harder to get. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a, a competitive aspect between people. Yeah. For us, uh, we're having building sites delayed and slowed down. Um, yeah. And so that's how, that's having an effect. Um, but yeah, I think it's um, few, the money's there, just fewer people have got it. So more people are competing for it. Yeah. And I suppose um, getting the advantage um, over competitors is by, you know, concentrating on that client experience as well, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Letting you stand out from the other people to get that advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think that'll work. uh, That'll work amazingly well. Um, What's the um, best bit of advice that you've ever, ever received, Johnny? Uh, The best bit of advice I've ever ever, uh, received is you don't lose if you don't give up. Ah, yes. Um, and that, yeah, I, I genuinely believe in that. If yeah. you, if you, you've only lost when you've given up. Yeah, exactly. And you are, you are probably the chief of perseverance, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm like a dog with a bone. I, I, yeah, I, I keep pushing forward. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. At whatever yeah. cost, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm in it. Um, what's the worst bit of advice you've ever received? Uh, the worst bit of advice would be, and I dare say there's a lot of flawless that can relate to this, would be just get it down. <laughs> I would say it would be the worst, worst bit of advice I've ever received. Have you ever, have you ever said that to any of your team? Probably. Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to say no, but I don't think I could say no with confidence. Yeah. Um, Stop yeah. and just get it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I probably have. Um mm. The fact that I can't put specifics on it means I haven't done it that often. So <laughs> that's me saving grace. But, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, because yeah, I'm quite pernickety and quite... Um, I used to have a lad that worked for me and he used to get really frustrated with me because he used to say, that you're the only person that at 10 to 5 will pull up a job and start it again because he doesn't, he's not quite right, even if the customer's happy. Yeah. Um, quite pernickety about stuff. So if I'm saying, just get it down... It's not uh, going to be a failure. It's just because it's it's going to be ninety five percent of our standard rather than one hundred percent of our standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that, I have that. that's my excuse of getting around that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting around that admission. That's my excuse of getting out of that admission. Ninety five percent. I was once told by my um, by my my coach um, that I had to learn to let go, um, learn to be okay that ninety five percent was good enough. Um, and that's very, very difficult for people like you and I that are like, this has to be perfect. It's not good enough if it isn't perfect. But that also comes with its own um, flaws, doesn't it, as well? Um, because it can hold you back a little bit because I think you can spend too much time overanalyzing, over procrastinating um, and just not getting where you want to go because you're, you're holding back all the time. Well, that yeah, uh, that's... That's a personal issue. I'm having a similar issue personally with that, as in um, I know for my business to get to where I want it to be, that very quickly I'm going to have to get off the tools and start focusing on driving my business mm-hmm. forward. And the thought of doing that 
it doesn't sit comfortable for one, two reasons. One, I'm, only reason why I'm in trade is because I enjoy fitting. Yeah. So giving it up is like, it's, um, it's, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Yes. And as you say, letting go and having trust in, and faith in your teams is really, really hard when you've always been the spearhead of it. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, I suppose that comes down to your hiring. You, you've got to get your right team in place. Mm-hmm. so that you can trust them because I try to trust my lads but letting go of them it's, it's like it's like letting go of your kids in it letting them go out you, you know they can do it you know they're ready for it but you just don't want it you still want them in house yeah. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to let go it really is but it's, it's, it's needed but you've got to have faith and I suppose that you, if, if your lads are well trained and you've made sure they're well trained and they're good folk then there's no reason not to I suppose it gives you a bit of confidence to be able to do so but it's still, it's still hard to do it. It's hard to do it. I think it's one of the things that most small business owners get to that point where they are just thinking, right, I do need to, I need to let go a little bit more, but I just can't get to that point. Um, And it's a really, really poor habit to have if you, if you just can't, if you can't let go. And I spent probably five, 10 years of my own career doing exactly that just not being able to let go fully and just being almost like a nosy neb absolutely everything and being a control freak um and it's not great for your team either it really no, isn't it holds them back but i, I think it's a, i think it's a common problem and i think it's the bottleneck for people fitters say who go self-employed and then they'll take mm-hmm. on a couple of lads and they'll start managing their own work i think that's the bottleneck of that transition from a subcontract with a few lads into a business. Yes. Because the person setting that up and, and leading that, they have to let go. But yeah. everything's been built on them having control. And it's like, but if I let go of them control, then the business will fall down because I'm not doing X, Y, Z. And it's like, mm-hmm. but what you try to do isn't what you're doing. So mm-hmm. what you have to do has to be different. Otherwise you'll continue doing what you've been doing. Yeah. And it's, it's a head and heart moment. You have to go. Your head knows you should. Yes, it's no, a tough I agree. One. It's a tough one, isn't it? So we're going to um, go into a bit of a quick fire round now, okay? Like we always do on the podcast. Um, I'm going to start off with. Um, I'm going to go back to the original. Back McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King for me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Burger King for me is the king of burgers. Um, I probably. I probably go at McDonald's more because I'm quite a price-orientated chap when it comes to them things. But well, you're uh, an that's why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's a reason why they call him the King of Burgers. Yeah. The Whopper is a treat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the? Um, have you got five guys near you as well? What we have, but I've only ever been once, and I almost cried when I got the bill. So I don't think <laughs> I'm going. I was gonna say, I bet your um, yeah, you're like parting with the money is just like really tight. Don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I went, no I went, matter how I went, good it is. <laughs> I went, well, it spoiled it for me. I went, <laughs> I went, I went with my son, and um, and yeah, we just got burger and chips, and it was like fifty quid or something, like 40, 50 quid. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, we just uh, it didn't didn't matter how nice it was. It's like, well, that's a fiver. Well, that's <laughs> it. Just it just spoiled it for me. I don't think I don't think I'd change it, no matter how much brass I had either. Yeah. It's just not. It, it doesn't matter how nice it is. A burger's not worth that sort of money, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Agreed completely. They are nice, but I would say Burger King over Five Guys every day, because you can also get some other. You can add add some onion rings and stuff to it as well. I like yeah. Burger King onion rings. 
Um, coffee or tea? Uh, tea generally, but coffee yeah. first thing. Yeah. What's your yeah. um? What's your go-to? What's your go-to drink of choice? Uh, probably tea. Yeah. Tea generally. Coffee. I like coffee, but I can only have one because otherwise I'll, I'll shake like a shitting dog. So <laughs> I only have the one. I have it first thing in the morning just to put a bit of a spring in my step. But generally speaking, it'd be tea. Tea and diet. Tea and Coke Zero. Coke Zero. I drink by the gallon. Yeah. But um, I've always got a few bottles of that lying about the van. <laughs> yeah, and um, sunbathing or skiing? Skiing all day long. Skiing. Yeah, sitting sitting still is not for me. No. Okay. Um, I'd to be doing something. Beer, wine, or spirit? Uh, it would be depend on the occasion. If I'm honest, um, I quite like to sit down with. Um, I like I like a rum and I like my vodka, but there's a time and a place for it. Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, lager. Quite right. like a lager. What's your What's your go-to lager of choice? It's cheap, so it's Cal, and I go for cheapest on tap. <laughs> and um i also i like i like weak lager as well because it doesn't stay in the glass very long so if i drink the stink the strong stuff i'm i'm not lasting very long either right so <laughs> drink weak lager makes complete sense complete sense what's your favorite type of floor covering and why oh um my i, I yeah it's a, it's a tough one actually what is it I'd probably make, I like LBT because I like the design element in it. Um, I like the limitless aspect of it because there's not a lot that you can't do with LBT if you put your mind to it. Um, and carpet-wise, I like flat wave runners. I think they look the most nuts. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. But fitted well, they, they look smart. They really what do. Have you got, what have you got in your house? Uh, we've got LBT on ground floor and we've just got a herringbone and put the staircase and um, indestructible polyprops in the kids' bedrooms. Good idea. Good mm. idea. Mm. Um, if you want 10 yeah. million, we had you want 10 million, what would you spend it on? 10 million. Um, the first thing I'd do is probably I'd replace my missing teeth. I've got some missing teeth on the side that are a, a pain. Um, I think that would be the second thing I'd do. I'd buy... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Really. You would just save it, wouldn't you? I want to say logical like... stuff. Like, oh, I probably. I'm, the first, I'm thinking the first thing that come to mind. I think people would buy treasury bonds and they've got five percent. But um, <laughs> I don't think that's the fun answer that you're looking for, really. Um, no, no it's not like, quite. No, no. I think yeah. you would just sit on it, wouldn't you? Be like, yeah, this is not. This is all mine. It's not being spent. It's not going anywhere. I'm just yeah. going to hold on to this. I'm just going. I'm going to be like Scrooge McDuck and just swim in it. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd buy some cars and I'd, I'd, I'd build. A, I'd build a house with a gym in it and a garage in it. There, somewhere that I could. So I've got a place there, somewhere to play. Somewhere to play and make stuff and fix stuff and then somewhere to work out quite like that. Yeah, that's good. And what would you what would your dream car be? I, I really, my my two favourite cars are the BMW E46 M3 CL and the Corrado VR6. And they're older cars, and I probably wouldn't drive them. Um, I'd just look at them and polish them <laughs> and play with them. Uh, the Corrado VR6. I've never I've never. I've, Driven an M3, but I've never driven a Corrado, and I don't know if I'd want to because mm -hmm. it'd. Um, I think it'd be like meeting your hero; it'd just spoil it for me. Right, just okay. Want, just want to look at it. It's. I mean, they stopped making it in something like '94. Right. It's, it's, a, it's an old, tired car. I think it'd spoil the illusion, but yeah, I really do like them. 
Good. And that's what you could spend your money on that, have a nice garage. You just have a little window that you can just admire them. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. My garage would have every tool under the sun and it would be massive. I like, I generally like tinkering and making stuff and playing with stuff. And Mm. yeah, that would be a, I don't think wife would ever see me if we had that. Like a massive workshop down the bottom of the garden. Yeah, down yeah, somewhere I can get a garage, somewhere where we have ramp so I can get under the car and um, yeah, yeah be, be a fantasy. Good. Well, that's kind of bringing us to the end of this podcast. Um, but if people wanted to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you? Um, and what's the best way of contacting you? Uh, we can get in touch with me via the socials, which is uh, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, and Instagram. You can get us via the website um, and uh, mobile numbers and landline numbers. You can, yeah, if you, if you Google Fortisan Studio, I'm pretty sure you'll find me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, based in Skipton? In Skipton, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, it's been absolutely amazing to speak to you this morning. I've really enjoyed our chat. So thank you very much for coming on um, to the podcast. And um, I'm sure we're going to catch up again soon anyway. Yeah, I'm sure we are. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website, at cockerellandco.co.uk that's cockerellandco.co.uk we also have an instagram account which is cockerellandco and also we are on facebook once again don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon